Hello and welcome to Asia Abridged. I'm Matt Schiavenza. In this episode, we look at the status of the world's most important bilateral relationship, China and the United States. As 2018 gets underway, two thorny issues stand out in particular. One, whether Washington will seek punitive economic action against Beijing, and two, whether China will work with the United States on solving the North Korean nuclear problem. To dig a little deeper on these issues, I recently spoke with Daniel Russell, Asia Society's diplomat in residence and formerly the point person for Asia for President Barack Obama. We began by talking about trade. Well, I think that uh, the preponderance of observers on both the U.S. and the Chinese side are bracing for what looks to be a rough patch in U.S.-China economic and trade relations in 2018. The Trump administration has sent a lot of signals uh, about its intention to take tough, tough trade enforcement actions. And look, it's, it's a good thing for there to be good chemistry between the leaders themselves. I'd say that's a necessary but a not sufficient condition for uh, real problem solving. That said, the president has sent some mixed messages. You know, he's talked tough about China uh, throughout the campaign and throughout the first year of his presidency. But when he actually met with Xi Jinping, whether it's in Mar-a-Lago or in Beijing, uh, he took what seemed to have been quite a conciliatory uh, stance. Moreover, the comprehensive economic dialogue, the cabinet level and the working level engagement track that started with a bang at Mar-a-Lago seems to have petered off. And in fact, we've seen explicit statements from senior trade officials saying that the U.S. doesn't intend to resume those dialogues. And frankly, there's a limit to what can be done at the presidential level in the best of circumstances. You really need an ongoing process, in my experience, in my view, to to find compromises and find solutions to economic and trade problems. The trade hawks in the administration uh, certainly appear to be on the ascendancy. I think that the second year of a presidency typically focuses less on what the predecessor did wrong and more on what the administration can show by way of results. So we shouldn't be surprised if in 2018 President Trump ups the ante. Now, what that leads to, uh, how the administration goes about it, where they find leverage, how the Chinese respond, what the costs are, those are all important but different questions. Last January, on his third day in office, President Trump fulfilled a campaign pledge to withdraw the United States from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, an enormously consequential 12-nation trade agreement. I asked Danny how this decision has affected U.S.-China relations. Well, I think that you can see the cost of the U.S. abandoning the TPP in the difficult quest for leverage in dealing with what are, after all, pretty egregious patterns of behavior on trade and 
on investment by China. There are very legitimate complaints about the denial of fair market access to U.S. firms, the various regulatory barriers, the forced transfer of technology from U.S. companies as a condition of selling to the Chinese market, various intellectual property uh, violations and industrial policy. There's a, there's a lot to object to, a lot to complain about, but it's very difficult for the United States to tackle this behavior on China's part alone uh, or to do so without incurring tremendous risks, the risk of a trade war that would have devastating effects to both sides that would really seriously harm not only U.S. consumers in the first instance, but U.S. workers and U.S. companies in the almost inevitable event of some retaliation from the Chinese side. What, what TPP offered was a framework that pulled together a number of other countries, both the TPP members themselves, but more broadly, I think the major economies in the world rallying around a series of important high standards. And that, I think, was a vehicle whereby the U.S. could have done a lot to marshal the preponderance of political opinion among the major economies. And that's something that creates leverage and that I think China would have had to listen to. Since assuming office, President Trump has indicated that he sees the U.S.-China relationship in a holistic way, saying on Twitter, for instance, that he wouldn't label Beijing a currency manipulator because China helps the U.S. deal with North Korea. I asked Danny what he thought about this approach. The Obama administration went to great lengths to try to push back against Chinese efforts to make this linkage on the grounds that the behavior of China stands uh, in every case on its own and that we don't make concessions or trade-offs. Uh, we don't barter for Chinese cooperation. Now, I think that you could certainly expect China to respond to tough trade actions by saying, hey, how can you Americans expect us to cooperate with you on North Korea if you are taking these aggressive or tough, tough trade actions against us? It could, in fact, have an adverse effect on Chinese cooperation on North Korea, particularly since the background to any trade action is that the U.S. just came out with a national security strategy that frames China in very, very negative terms as an adversary, implicitly as an enemy. Uh, and I think that that context means that tough trade actions, which most of us would argue are, are justified by China's own egregious trade policies, will come across uh, will have the appearance of being far more aggressive, far more offensive than were intended. That said, at the end of the day, I think China's policy on the DPRK is driven by its own interests and by 
Kim Jong-un's behavior not really as favors to the U.S. China has made no secret of its annoyance with North Korea's nuclear program, and in fact, the relationship between the two countries is far from warm. Kim Jong-un, for instance, has never visited his country's only ally in his six years of power. Yet China's staunch support of North Korea remains a core component of East Asian relations. Is this durable? Here's what Danny had to say. Well, I am of the view that there has been a very fundamental shift in the China-North Korea relationship. You'd be hard-pressed to claim that those two countries even have an alliance anymore. But what hasn't changed is the conundrum of bad options. China is in a bind because it has competing and conflicting objectives. On the one hand, it is very concerned about its own security interests, and that includes the suspicion and anxiety with which they see the tightening of the U.S. ROK-Japan alliance, the deployment of a variety of military and defense assets that are driven by North Korea's nuclear and missile program, and the risk of uh, the unthinkable, which is nuclear war, on the Korean Peninsula. On the other hand, they like uh, the idea of a buffer state. They are wary of the prospect of a unified uh, Korea that's allied to the United States. And they are infuriated by the disregard that Kim Jong-un has shown consistently for China's interests and the many, many insults that he's manufactured against China's core leader, uh, Xi Jinping. So there are very conflicting impulses and interests in China when it comes to looking at North Korea and no good options. Why doesn't Kim and why doesn't North Korea embrace China more? Why have they, if China is their one alliance, their one protector, it would seem to be logical that they'd, you know, really want to do China's bidding in a lot more ways, but yet they've been more adversarial than that lately. Why do you think that is? I think that Kim Jong-un is playing a game of chicken uh, with the Chinese, that he believes that while there will be short-term punishment and pain from China in the form of these UN Security Council resolutions terminating coal purchases or oil exports, that ultimately uh, he, Kim Jong-un, has China over a barrel because his ability to disrupt China's interests and economy and political agenda is formidable. And I think he believes that he can use that leverage to extort concessions from China. That conviction is borne out by past experience. China, even under Xi Jinping, has consistently turned the other cheek when Kim Jong-un executed 
their closest friend and partner in North Korea, his uncle, Jang Song-tek. When Kim Jong-un murdered his stepbrother, Kim Jong-un, or his half-brother, who was de facto under Chinese protection, when Kim Jong-un conducted various nuclear and missile tests in a very direct challenge to China, at the very time that Xi Jinping was hosting important international meetings like the BRICS summit or the Belt and Road Forum or meeting with Vladimir Putin. So uh, I think that there's plenty of evidence to suggest that Kim Jong-un believes that at the end of the day, uh, China will uh, perhaps uh, spank him a bit but will not take real action that could be regime-threatening, and therefore, North Korea has the upper hand. Thank you for listening to Asia Abridged. If you want to hear more, you can check out our show page at asiasociety.org slash podcast, and you can also subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Asia Society. Until next time, this is Matt Schiavenza. Matt Schiavenza.